We do have almost a full house here. I'm very thankful for your presence. I trust that you have come with one thought in mind, and that is to glorify our Heavenly Father. I believe if you've entered into the song service thus far, we have done just that. If we listen to the words of the songs, and we have sung them with our whole heart, I believe that is a sweet-smelling savor gone up before our Heavenly Father. This morning, I don't know where your heart is. I don't know where you are in your walk before God. You may be on a mountaintop this morning. You may be enjoying the peace and strength that comes by being a child of God. You may be having everything you feel going right in your life. You may be serving God with a zeal, realizing and enjoying the blessings that He gives to each and every one of us each and every day. But you may not be on that mountaintop this morning. You may be in the valley. You may be going through struggles, through trials, through tribulations, through hard times in this life. You may have partaken in sin. You may be overtaken in sin. You may have let Satan get a foothold in your life. You may not have even started your walk with God this morning. No matter where you are in your journey before God today, I want you to know that God is near. That He is in the same place that He has always been and that He is in the same place that He will always be until the end of time. Wherever you are, on August the 25th, 2019, God is there for you. Doesn't matter how far you feel like you are from Him, He is close by. He is offering you comfort from your grief. He's offering you strength for the road ahead, and He's offering you eternal life if you will but lay hold of it, if you will but put your trust and faith in Him. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is a promise that Christ gives to each and every one of us as we walk upon this earth. But he also gives us much more than this as his children. You see, God is consistent. He's consistent in all things. I believe many times we lose sight of His consistency because we view Him as we are, and we're not consistent. I'm the farthest thing from consistent. And we view Him, and we think that He has failures like we do. He has faults. He has issues. He has no issues. He is perfect. We expect Him to change as we do, but He is never changing. He is always the same, yesterday, today, and forever. This morning, I want to call to your remembrance the significance of God's constancy. And I hope to strengthen your faith in God's ability to provide your every need and to provide that stability that we need so much in this life. I believe when we fully realize the consistency of God, it allows us to put everything else we go through in this life in the proper perspective, in an eternal perspective realizing that what this life throws at us pales into comp in comparison to the hope that we have in eternity. I'd like to do this by looking at the life of a prophet of God we find in the Old Testament, that is the prophet Jeremiah. I believe through his life we see a consistency born out before him of his God, of his creator. 
And I believe because of that, he was able to endure the things that he saw going on before him. And in turn, we can endure the things that life throws at us each and every day. Jeremiah was a prophet chosen by God to warn the children of Judah of the righteous judgment that awaited them because of their wickedness. He had a hard task. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4, says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Even before he was born, this was God's role for him in this life. If you look at the period of time that Jeremiah prophesied in, it's very tumultuous to say the least. There were wars, there were people that were being killed at every moment. There were nations that were fighting against nations. People being taken subject to other nations and being brought into slavery. But he witnessed this firsthand. He is often referred to as the weeping prophet because of his mourning for the children of Israel. Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 1 says, Oh, that my head were waters, and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. As we look back in the Old Testament, we see that Jeremiah began his ministry during the reign of Josiah, the last of the good kings of the children of Judah. And he continued his prophecy well into the Babylonian captivity of the children of Judah. He encountered strong opposition for his prophecies about the coming judgment of God. But especially opposition from Josiah's wicked sons, Jehoiakim and Zedekiah. On more than one occasion, his life was threatened because of his service to God, because he proclaimed the truth of God. Even while the Babylonians were invading Jerusalem in fulfillment of his prophecies, Jeremiah was sitting in the king's dungeon because he told him that he was being wicked before his God. After the fall of Jerusalem, the Babylonians allowed Jeremiah to remain in, Jeru in Judah. And it is at this point that he witnessed all the atrocities that come upon an oppressed, suffering, conquered people. But it's with this backdrop, with this point in time, that he writes Lamentations. The book is a, him lamenting over the woes that are befalling the people the children of God. Lamentations 3, beginning verse 21, says, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. He's lamenting, but what does he say? He says, I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in Him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him, to the soul that seeketh him, it is good for a man that he should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. How could he write these things going through the turbulent times that he was going through? How can we remain faithful to God when we go through trials and tribulations in this life? Because God is consistent. God is faithful. He's never changing. He's unwavering. He's there for us no matter what we're going through. It's because even in the darkest of times, when everything else and everyone else may fail us, God will not fail us. Jeremiah realized the eternal nature of God, that God's steadfastness transcends even the time that He has created for us to live in. 
God will be the same forever. In a world that's always in a constant state of flux and chaos, the world that we are in, the world that we see around about us, God's consistency is the one thing that we can count on. Everything else will fail except God. There's many things that we could look at in the life of Jeremiah, but there's three things specifically I would like to look at that we find in the story of Jeremiah that I believe give us proof of God's consistency. And I hope that it can give you strength in faith to lean on Him in your darkest hour. Those things are God's judgment, His mercy, and His love. If you look in Strong's Dictionary, you don't find consistent or consistency. It's not a Bible term, but faithful is. I believe they can convey the same idea. The word translated faithful in the New Testament is Strong's 4103. It means one that is worthy of trust because they have proven themselves to be true to their word in the past. That sums up God in a word. God is faithful. God is consistent. From the very beginning of time, we see that God is consistent in His judgment. Obedience to Him and His word is blessed, but disobedience... And rebellion against His Word, what we know as sin, is punished. He cannot and will not tolerate sin. We see that from the very beginning of time. Let's look back at the beginning. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31. This is on the sixth day. After finishing His creation, each day He said it is good. But on the sixth day He said, And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. God had created a paradise a world free from sin, free from any fault. It was perfect. But what happened? He gave gave Adam and Eve his crowning creation two commands. Dress and keep the garden and don't partake of the forbidden fruit. Well, what did they do? Very soon, they did exactly what he told them not to do. Now let's stop and what if for a moment. God just made this this perfect paradise, this perfect universe, even more than the world, he's made the universe, the stars in heaven, everything. And man comes in and sins. Don't you think if he could, at that moment in time, he would have overlooked that sin? In his mind, he could have thought, I've made all this and now all that, has done, all that man has done is gone and corrupted it. Now it's no longer perfect. I cannot say it is very good anymore. Because sin has come into the world. If he could have, I present to you this morning, he would have. But he can't. He cannot overlook sin because he is consistent in judgment. So what did God do? He kicked man and his wife out of the garden. And they had to tool the earth. They had to reap the consequences for their sin. And today, we also are reaping the consequences of that sin and our sin as well. We don't live in the paradise that God created because of sin today. In order to be just and righteous as He is, He has to reward us for our actions. If He did, He would not be consistent in judgment. Another example of God's faithfulness in judgment is found a little later in the Old Testament in the story of Moses. You know, if you look at Moses, Moses was a man chosen by God to deliver his people out of Egyptian bondage. 
No, he ex- exhibited an extraordinary faith. We're talked, he's talked about in Hebrews chapter 11 and how the faith that he had to leave the promises of Egypt and the, sin, the pleasures of sin for a time so that he could go and deliver God's people out of bondage. He was up on Mount Sinai and brought the Ten Commandments down to the people. And he fulfilled a vital role before God. The Bible says he was of all men most meek on the earth. But yet he still had to submit to God. And when he did not obey God, it was something was required of him. He had to pay the price for it. He, God expected Moses to submit to his commandments. After the children of Israel left Egypt, God commanded Moses to strike the, walk and bring, the rock and bring forth water. He did that. And a time, late, time passed, and God told him, This time don't strike the rock, but go and speak to it, and I will send water out. But what did Moses do? In anger, he struck the rock. Let's pick, pick up the story in Numbers chapter 20 and verse 8. God says, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before your, their eyes. And it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rock from before the Lord as he commanded them. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation therefore before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his head, and with his rod he smote the rock twice, and water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believed me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. You know, if we look at this as a, from a human's perspective, we see Moses was under a great deal of stress at this point. You know, it's estimated that there were well over a million people that he was bringing through this wilderness. He was not one of the, ele- the ten spies that went out and spied the land and caused them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. He was not one of the people that was there and sacrificing to the golden calf while he was up on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments. All he did is strike the rock when God said, speak to it. That may seem insignificant to us, but it was significant to God because it did not sanctify God in the eyes of the people. It did not show that God is holy and he is worthy of our obedience. So because of that, because of his disobedience, Moses got the consequences for his actions. Look what, he, look what God said in verse 12. Because ye believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land that I have given them. He wandered for so long, but yet because he was unwilling to fully submit to God, he was not allowed to go into that promised land. When we obey God, we give Him the proper respect that He deserves. And we sanctify or set Him apart and we bring glory and honor to Him. One of the ways we do that is we worship Him in spirit and truth as He has commanded us, as we have done thus far today. When we do not obey His word, when we add to or take away from, we dishonor Him. We show that His way is not the best way, but we know something better. And we reap the consequences for our actions when we do that. 
God's faithfulness in judgment today is the very same as it was in the time of Moses and in the time of Adam and Eve in the garden. Even today, obedience and sin will receive their just reward, regardless of who you are. Peter said in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. As we've seen in the very first created beings in this earth, as we've seen in Moses, the one that was tasked to lead his children out of bondage, God is no respecter of persons. He expects obedience to his word. And if we do not obey, judgment is what we should expect. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Roman church about the consistency of God's judgment in Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. The Apostle Paul writes, But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to the truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering? not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up for thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory, honor, and immortality eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also to the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. God expects the same out of each one of us. Obedience, submission to Him, Paul's very clear here. He, God does not pervert his judgment for anyone. When we see our sin as tolerable or something that we can get by with, something that God will let slide, and somehow he will overlook our sin without our repentance, with our, without a changing of our heart and putting that behind us, we are just as mistaken as Adam and Eve were and as Moses was. You know, as, as Jeremiah sat in Jerusalem, he saw God's righteous judgment, the same that he had been prophesying about coming to pass upon the children of Judah. This may have been hard to watch. He was involved in it. He was being persecuted himself. But I believe this must have given him a healthy fear of God and the judgment that God has. And it must have increased his awareness of God's unwavering nature. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30 says, For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Seeing God's judgment throughout Scripture should give us as well a healthy fear and a faith in God's unwavering nature. And it should strengthen our faith. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Praise be to God that that's not the only thing that Jeremiah saw. Along with the judgment that was poured out upon God's people, Jeremiah also witnessed God's consistency in His promised mercy. 
It reminds you of King Josiah. He was a child king, eight years old when he began to rule. His father was so wicked that after two years of reigning, his father Ammon was killed by those of his own household. That makes it that much more amazing to see what Josiah did. He was a man that sought God. Even among all this wickedness, even among all this turmoil that was going on around him, he sought to please his, his God. Second Chronicles chapter 34 and verse 3 says, For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he was 16 years old, he began to seek after the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. This wasn't something purging Israel from all the wickedness. This wasn't something that he could do overnight. It took time. It took dedication. It took fortitude. How many people do you think came up to him and said, You can't do that. Your father put this grove in place. You can't get rid of it. But after six years, he had accomplished what he had set out to do. Second Chronicles 34 verse 8 says, Now in the 18th year of his reign, when he's 26 years old, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent and he sent his servants to repair the house of the Lord his God. The land had become so wicked that when they went to repair the, the house of the Lord, they found the word, the law of God. It had been lost, but it was found. Verse 14, it says, And when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law the Lord, of the Lord given by Moses. So Josiah knew it was wrong to do what they were doing, but he didn't have the book of the law. He didn't know exactly what God had commanded. He just knew the wickedness that was in the world was not right, that was in his kingdom. He wanted to do something about it, so he did. Well, what happened when he saw the law of the Lord, when it was read before him? Verse 19 says, And it came to pass when the king had heard the word of the law that he rent his clothes. And the king commanded, he commanded the priests and his servants, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for them that are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do after all that is written in this book. He realized where he stood was squarely in the aim of God's wrath. And he did not want to be in that place. And thanks be to God that he had a remedy for that, repentance and turning back to God, putting away the wickedness and following after God wholeheartedly. You know, over and over in the Old Testament, the kings of Judah and Israel, we see from time to time those kings would turn for a time because they saw the impending doom that was going to happen to him, happen to them at that time, but that did not endure. Josiah's endured. Even King Ahab, Ahab that had married Jezebel, that was wicked. He turned for a time and God relented for a time because of his repentance. But that repentance didn't maintain the course, didn't stay. And he was, he was condemned because of it. Josiah realized the judgment that God had for him and the people and he rightly turned and committed his life to God. He could find God even when that people was so wicked because God is in the same place always. God was consistent. God had made a covenant with His people back under the time of Moses. 
that he would be their God and they would be his people. And if they turned away from their sin, God would be there for him, for them. That God would not be in some faraway place that they could not attain, that they could not find him, but he would be right there for them. Because of that, when Josiah cried for help, God was there. Verse 27 says, Because thine heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God, when thou heardest his words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me, and didst rend thy clothes and weep before me, I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. Behold, I will gather thee to thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered to thy grave in peace. Neither shall thine eyes see all the evil that I will bring upon this place and upon the inhabitants of the same. So they brought the king word again. I'm sure this renewed Josiah. This renewed in him a sense of peace because he, was, he had become right with his God because he had submitted to his will. He had taken the law that he had seen and he didn't just brush it away as his fathers had before him, but he submitted to it and he followed after it. You know, this transformation is something that jo Jeremiah saw happen before his very eyes. Josiah was in his 13th year of reigning when Jeremiah began to prophesy. We find that in the first two verses of Jeremiah chapter 1. And when Jer Josiah turned back to God, God had mercy on him. And Jeremiah saw that just as he, is, he had promised to the children of Israel years before. And I'm sure it increased the faith that Jeremiah had in the consistency of his God. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. God can't say it any more clearly. He will not change. He keeps His covenant to a thousand generations. Even when we break our side of the covenant, He is still there. He's still ready for us to return. Just as the father was for the prodigal son. God is there and ever-changing. I don't know why this sticks out to me, but I like numbers. And it talks about a thousand generations here. There hasn't been a thousand generations to live on this earth. But God says He will be true to a thousand generations. Forever and ever He will be true. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 12. Wherefore it shall come to pass, if ye hearken to, thee, to these judgment and keep and do them that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he sware unto thy fathers. That was God's promise, and that's exactly what he did before the eyes of Jeremiah in the life of Josiah. You know, today, the vast majority of the people around us have turned their back on God. We see that in the media. We see that portrayed in everyday life. We see that people do not reverence their God. They do not submit to God. But yet, we know that God will be faithful to us if we submit to Him. If we turn away from sin, we will not get lost in the crowd. We will not pay the eternal price for those that are around us. We need to remember that God will not forsake His faithful children because of the wickedness of the society around them. You know, this morning a discussion of God's faithfulness cannot be complete without recognizing the fact that because of God's faithfulness in judgment, the only way that He can be faithful in judgment and mercy is because of His perfect faithfulness in love. Remember what Jeremiah said in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22. 
It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. We could be consumed by God, and rightfully so, if He did not have mercy. But in order to have mercy, He had to first have perfect love for us. Jeremiah realized that there was nothing else that he or anyone else could do to deserve or merit God's mercy. It was only because of God's love and compassion toward His creation that God extended grace to mankind. As David Minson said in his lesson several months ago, man's sin broke the world. I commend that lesson to you. If you have time, go look back in the podcast that we have recorded for the lessons here at the church. It's in January of 2019. And listen to that, how sin was brought into the world. And all the evil is, does not come from God, but it comes because man failed to obey God. Jeremiah realized the evil all around him was not God's doing, but it was Satan. And he, I believe he laid the blame where it was properly laid, at the feet of Satan and of sin. We cannot blame God for the evil that happens to us or the trials that we face because it's not God. Remember, God made a very good, a perfect world, but it's sin that broke the world. And I believe God's love is the most compelling and most amazing aspect of His faithfulness. No, God didn't just fall in love with mankind. He didn't see us when we were small and He thought we were cute and cuddly and thought, you know what, that's something I could love. He loved us when we could not be loved. He loved us knowing that it would take the death of His Son to have a relationship with us. It would take the death of His Son in order for Him to have both perfect judgment and perfect mercy for us. God chose to love us even before he created Adam and Eve. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 and 21. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of the Lamb, without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead, and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Because of love, knowing the price that it would have to be paid, God set in plan, motion a plan to save mankind from the judgment that we all deserve. Even though Christ knew the pain and heartache that it would take for Him to go to the cross on our behalf, He su still submitted to God's will and offers each one of us salvation for His sins. Because of God's love, that's how He can offer mercy from His judgment because Christ has paid the price. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but that death is paid by the gift of God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, because Christ has paid the debt for us. Words cannot adequately express or explain how great and unwavering God's love is for each and every one of us. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 19 that the love of Christ surpasses knowledge. It cannot be explained, that love that He has had for us. And it cannot be fully comprehended by mankind. It's safe to say that God's love is as strong as it possibly could be for you and I. John chapter 15 verse 13 says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. 
But the fact still remains, God's love does not undermine His judgment. He has conditions upon that mercy. In Luke chapter 13 and verse 3, Jesus Christ told the people that He stood there talking to, He said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Without faithful obedience to God, we cannot escape the consequences of our sin. You know, as we look at Jeremiah, we don't know the extent to which he understood the magnitude of God's love and the great sacrifice that God was going to send centuries later in Jesus Christ as he sent him to the cross to die for our sin. But Jeremiah prophesied about that new covenant that God was going to have with his chosen people, those that submitted to him. That covenant that was going to be established through the perfect blood of Christ. That covenant that we can enjoy today. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 31 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Verse 34, And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. I will remember it because the blood of Christ has covered it for those that have submitted to my will. Jeremiah found great consolation and hope from the evil and destruction that was all around him because he realized that God was always faithful. He was always faithful to his promises. Jeremiah had seen God's faithfulness in his life and had a glimpse of the promised Messiah through the prophecies that were given through him. He must have had an eternal perspective. He must have understood that what was, he was seeing before him was not all that was promised to him. But he did not fully understand or know God's plan to save mankind. That's not the case for you and I today. We don't have to wonder about the extent of God's love for us. We know that it is beyond measure. Even more than Jeremiah did, we should have confidence and assurance in God's commitment, not only to His Word, but also to us, His children. God's love should compel us to serve Him with all of our being. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. This comes from the New King James Version. It says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Our service begins when we accept God on His terms through grace and obedience to the gospel of Christ. Obedience to that shed blood that God extended to us in His Son. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Christ is the only way back. That's the only sacrifice for our sins. That's the only atonement for the sins that we have committed. That's the only way that God can have mercy on us. As a Christian, our love and service to God should only grow as we further realize the vastness of God's love for us. As Jeremiah stated back in Lamentations chapter 3 
and verse 23. Speaking of God's mercy and compassion, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We may sin every day, but God's mercy can cover that sin if we will turn away from it. His mercy and compassion can never be ended. It is manifest to us each and every day. Just as the, each day brings new, a new sunrise and new evidence of the consistency of God, it brings new opportunities to serve and new blessings from our God. Now in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, we're told that all spiritual blessings come through Christ Jesus. Our church family is a great spiritual blessings that, blessing that we have through Christ. Freedom from guilt. We have it no other place than in Christ. A hope in eternity. Comfort. Strength. Peace that passes understanding when we, undergo, when we go through the trials of life. Things that seem so hard for us to get through. We can have peace because we have Christ. Because we have the blood of Christ. Our life should be one continual transformation as we grow closer to God and we more and more understand the love that He has for us and we try to fulfill His purpose in our life. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Our realization of God's love should cause us to boldly affirm what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In conclusion this morning, I hope you fully realize the level to which God has proven Himself faithful and consistent. His judgment, mercy, and love are unwavering. He has given us every reason to put our complete faith and trust in Him for all eternity. No matter what you're going through this morning, God is near. And He wants you to experience His love before His mercy runs out and you are left to face His judgment alone. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him. From the study of the morning, I hope that you realize the answer to the Hebrew writer's question in verse 3. You will not escape God's judgment if you turn your back on His mercy and love. That's what make your, makes your choice to submit to God today so important. The lesson is yours this morning. If you desire to put on Christ in baptism and begin that walk with Him, realizing the blessings that we have in Christ, or if there's one here that's been sufficient that would like the prayers of the church, please come forward and stand as we stand and sing the song of invitation.